Hello and welcome to Talking About Midlife. I'm Kelly Sterling and I'm hosting our conversation today about grief with my good friend and colleague Ellen Clark. Ellen and I have both been in a deep dive around grief this year, which is not surprising. We're life transitions coaches, both of us, so we often come up against grief a lot of the time when we're working with our clients. Ellen's also an art therapist and a somatic experiencing practitioner. So we explored, and I feel to be honest that we only touched the surface of the conversation. I think we'll come back and have another one, but we really explored all the ways that grief can come up in our life. We probably missed some. And what is it about our human condition, the way that we are, that stops us from letting the grief flow, that stops us from wanting to feel the sadness and the disappointments on a day-to-day basis. And we asked lots of questions during this conversation and had a few laughs at, you know, the craziness of humanity, really, of, of our own experience as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and that it's thought-provoking for you more than anything. Hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So um, Ellen and I are both really into grief this year, exploring it deeply, studying it, and um, I thought it would be a really good thing to talk about because it's it's an emotion that, it's really important and I think a lot of us don't have a good understanding of it and that it can occur in so many different ways. Why are you, why are you into it? What draw your interest in getting into it? Mm, I think one of the reasons, I mean, there are a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because we don't talk about it. We don't look at it. We don't turn towards it. Like, on a cultural level, a societal level, a familial level and a personal level, we've built so much stuff to help us turn away from it and sweep it under the emotional rug. And I've started to notice in my clients, in my own life, just how exhausting it is having that those structures in place to like brace against it, to not see it, to not feel it, to not acknowledge it. And I'm really curious about the relief that I feel when I think about, oh, what if I stopped doing that? What if I stopped avoiding this massive facet of what it is to be human and started getting really curious about it instead? And even just saying that, I'm noticing my chest like, oh, sigh mm, of relief. Me too. Yeah, not because it's going to be easy, because grief is not an easy emotion, but because it feels real and raw and true and human and it invites us to be a little bit less normal, a little bit less like we've got this facade of fine that we hold up all the time and get around in the world and what might happen if we put that down for a minute and let some of the wildness through that grief invites us into and what would happen to our relationships, to our feeling of who we are and how we are, to our culture, 
if we invited that in a little bit more. So that's sort of one of the reasons why I'm feeling very drawn to it at the moment. Mm, mm, how about you? Yeah, I love, yes. Oh, I love that wildness. And the other thing that came up for me when you were saying that is, yeah, we always say fine, but when we say fine, we usually like anything but fine, aren't we? <laughs> it's, code. it's code for kind of shit. It's kind of mediocre. When no, people I'm say fine, out. it's like, okay, it's really not good. Um, me, what? Oh, yes, all the reasons you are. So noticing it in clients, um, of course, just like kind of having hit menopause and noticed in the last couple of years that the, the sadness and grief that I experienced, but also people I'm coaching because you and I do a lot of life transitions coaching, how much sadness and disappointment and grief is packed away in there that starts to just like trickle out as we start to work with the body and, and curious about the grief that so many people experience in this perimenopause transition, which is kind of same, same, but different because our, our journey through that is unique, right? Like we get the journey we need so that we can transition into emotional adulthood. So to do that transition into emotional adulthood, we have to let a lot of shit go. And that's where the grief comes in, right? Mm. Then, of course, my own personal experience with having had cancer and noticing the grief that I experienced in the 12 months after that. And I, like, was okay with it, but I was like, why because shouldn't you be grateful that you're alive and that and then you know I know that grief and gratitude kind of come they have this relationship that all that unspoken I think my own experience made me realize like it just shows up in so many different ways in our life and that culturally there's an assumption that kind of we only experience it when we lose a love essentially mm. but that what I've noticed over the last four or five years plus with the pandemic and the grief that that's brought up in people around the state of the world wow there's something really massive about this and I need to suss it out mm. yeah it is massive and I think that's part of the reason why we don't suss it out because it is huge and we haven't looked at it for so long and when we start turning towards it it's like if I start acknowledging this and if I start feeling this I'm going to drown in it it's never going to end mm. it's this bottomless well of just tears or emotion or intensity or and it takes something it's going to change us if we step into it and we don't have the containers for that anymore that we perhaps used to a long yeah. long time ago and so, yeah, the, the, the massiveness of it is also really intriguing to me. Like how do we find our way into some of that in a way that feels manageable, that doesn't have us be like, if I put a toe in this, it's going to grab me and I'm going to drown. Mm. Like how could I put a toe in this gently? Like kind of I've been talking a little bit about bite-sized grief, mm -mm. <laughs> trying to find my way with that. Like what would it be just to have a little bite and to see, oh, What's that like? How does that change me? How does that feel? Let's take another little bite and um, increase our capacity for it through that. It's been an interesting exploration, but that, that bigness is a real 
It's a real thing. I think it has most of us feeling very afraid. Yeah. Is it the wildness and out of controllable aspect of it, do you think? Mm, I think that's a big part of it, that sort of feeling that if we step into it, it's going to take us over. Like you can't control grief as a big force, I don't think. It kind of asks that stepping out of control, that kind of wild wildness and we don't have a lot of spaces for that to practice that or we don't know how to navigate it anymore we don't have structures or rituals or ways to kind of go in and then come out again and so it's like well if I get into this out of controlness I'm going to get lost yeah well that makes sense doesn't it particularly when Mm. we don't have the containers and the rituals which hold us and anchor us Mm. As, as we journey and I think as well we've lost the ability to do it collectively as a community in connection with other people with other humans and so there's a sense of like I need to do this grieving all by myself and yes that's a very tricky ask I think it's different if you've got a whole collective of people grieving and some of them are in it and some of them aren't feeling that today so they're available to help hold it and it's a it's a thing that we do together rather than a thing that we do by ourselves behind closed doors and I think that makes a big difference but we don't have very many places to do that anymore and there's that sense of like oh I should be fine and if you come out of an illness oh but you're okay now but you should be fine. And you should be grateful. And you should be grateful. <laughs> you should be grateful that you're still alive, of which most people are. Mm. Yeah. But there's. Gratitude is there and there's everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. You know, there's the, especially like with big medical stuff where you might have had surgery and then, you know, you know if it's cancer obviously radio or chemotherapy or like you know with my friend with his heart like that's like really intense and really hard on our nervous system right Mm. yeah yeah we don't take the time to really acknowledge and understand that we've just been through this huge thing and even though we might walk out of there and we might be healthy it's like well we've been through this big thing and there's going to be stuff involved in that that we might need to feel our way through like we've come out the other side of an illness different or changed or the way that we experience ourselves in the world or what we expected or the loss of our health or like there's going to be a lot of stuff in there that's going to maybe get in the way of us just bouncing back to oh, I'm fine I'm fine Everything's yeah good. yeah I mean it's interesting I think I shared with you like that Stephen Jenkinson quote that uh, around cancer treatment, how, you know, like you're in a one-man war basically. Mm. And um, it certainly feels like that. But I've got a friend whose husband's an anaesthetist and I said to him, like, what's the one thing that just blows your mind about the body? <laughs> because, oh, that's hard. There's many things. He said just at a really fundamental level, the body needs to fight. It needs to fight for its life. Like it's got the Mm. capacity to do that. And I was like, wow. And I think 
kind of reflecting on that in terms of the illness piece, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, when you are in a bit of a war for your life, as any person who's involved in any type of war, like there is a lot of the letdown after that, the grief, the sadness, you know, what you've experienced. So that kind of makes a lot of sense why, you know, you'd be like tired about that, but also there's a level of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just went through that. And I'm Mm. here. I'm here. I made it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, I think... For a lot of people, there's the sadness, there's the, the, the grief. There's also like, you know, that near-death experience. Mm. If it's surgery or, you know, the treatment's really full on. And I think for a lot of people, there's something about, wow, I really pushed myself to the edge and I was okay. Mm. Like, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, like something that just sort of came up for me as you were sharing that, like that kind of one-man war and going through that experience, it's like it can also be deeply lonely. It's very isolating. Mm. Yeah. And that, I was like, it's hard to share that with people who aren't in there with you, which sort of like, oh, I went through this experience and I can't, like who's going to? understand this who's going to feel where I've been yeah and if I talk about it it Mm. makes it even more real yeah but in some ways being able to talk about it is what relieves the feeling a little bit or Mm. being in your body and then you know when I think about all of that I think which is what you're doing with the little moments like well, I wonder if we would be better at dealing with all of this stuff if through our life we learned to feel okay, to feel sad and disappointed Mm. and to acknowledge our grief all the way through our life. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I think that would be transformational on so many levels to have that Oh, it makes sense that you feel disappointed or sad or alone or that you're grieving or that you're angry or whatever about even the small things that happen in your life rather than like, oh, get up, you're fine, don't worry about it, it's nothing, carry on, just ignore it, sweep it under the rug, keep on going, focus on the positive, (laughs) everything happens for a reason. (laughs) I'm just noticing myself kind of shut down and cringe as I'm saying all of those things and it's just like, ugh. If it was all right to feel how we were feeling and made sense for us to feel the things that we label as challenging or negative or not really socially acceptable, I think we would have a very different experience of grief and of the challenges of life. They may feel less catastrophic and more Mm. invitations into something. And I'm not entirely sure what I mean by that, but it that to me is what grief is starting to feel like it's like this is an invitation into something and it isn't an invitation into anything that might be easy but it's probably an invitation into something that might be very worthwhile yeah well you know as you're saying that I'm like feeling very like there's something expansive about that invitation 
for me anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. That could be like something really worth exploring. Mm. And why why is it? Like I you know, I like, I get obsessed with all the cultural stuff because that was has been my work for years, but where did this come from and why do some cultures like really invite this and what happened in the industrial revolution that made us in the western world like shut it down and um take that stoic approach and not let it out or I don't know my mum says to me her mum passed away when she was 10 and she's like we weren't allowed to go to the funeral because they thought mm. the kids saying this was in the late forward, uh, hang on, that would have been 50s, late 50s, which is like really impacted on her and her siblings. Um, they weren't allowed to grieve their mother dying. They weren't allowed to go to the funeral. They weren't allowed to celebrate, you know, celebrate her life in because it would be a negative experience for them mm. and would torture them. And I'm like, yeah, ironically, I think it probably would have actually been the opposite. Mm. yeah I know we've both been reading Stephen Jenkinson's book Die Wise and I was reading a part of that yesterday where he speaks about in the western world how we wake up every morning expecting to live yes as if that's like a yes (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like that probably has something to do with it like we expect like it's a right we're going to live and it's not to say that we should wake up every morning expecting to die, but there's something in the way that we do that that negates anything else. Like, I don't know, what, do you, what does that bring up for you? Yeah, yeah, I've been, I mean, and also um, I know Martin Practical talks about it and I've been reading Francis Waller's book again and he talks about it a lot. Yes, we do expect to live. And that brings with it a level of entitlement around Mm. certain things is just my personal opinion. And, yeah, I mean, I'm me getting sick. Like it sort of changed my view on that. It's like, oh, you know, every day I don't really think too much about the future anymore. Not that I think that I don't have a future. I just enjoyed being in the present so much during my illness, which is all I could actually manage. Mm. But actually I found to not forward plan my life so much, um, even though I love planning holidays and things like that, but just to be a little bit more like to stay within. But the other thing that comes to me when with that, view of of Stephen Jenkinson's is um well I think they all hold it it sort of brings me back to the bigger picture around the earth and the world and like there's something about just kind of being in the moment that it makes you and this is just my lived experience more appreciative around the simple things in life Mm. and for me nature is a really big part of that and just appreciating um you know where we live what it has just the beauty of it and for me it's a big resource just being able to go out in it and sit and relax and enjoy it 
Whereas I felt like when I was, you know, working in the corporate environment, like working big hours, you don't even have time to kind of be with that. Mm. It's just that constant grind and 24-7. So there's a level of um, spaciousness, mindfulness, um, capacity when you can be like that mm. is, my, is my experience. Everyone experiences it differently. Yeah. But I do wonder, you know, if more people had that, would they think differently about the choices they're making when it comes to the environment, um, social sustainability, you know, their community, people around them? Would they notice mm. more about the people around them? Mm. Yeah, I wonder. My instinct is to say yes, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah, we don't know for sure, do we? I'm trying to just in my own life lean into a little bit more that there aren't any answers really, that I don't have the answers, that maybe the answers I've spent my whole life looking for aren't really there or maybe aren't really so important. And I think that diving into grief is really supporting that. It's sort of like, as you were saying, more of a moment-by-moment -moment experience. It's like this, this search for answers. It's like, well, I know what's true right now and it may not be true in a minute or an hour or 10 years, whatever. It's like this sense of oh, what's present in me in this moment. What is this journey of grief giving me in this moment? What is it asking because it tends to be, at least in what I've been exploring, a very alive kind of energy that asks things of us. Like it wants us to do things like wail or cry or create or tell stories or move. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I'm finding that really fascinating too. And that's a that's a moment-by-moment moment thing. Like how do I dance with this? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. You, you know how, um, I think it's Martin Preptal, is it? It talks about praise being the accompaniment to grief, which you mm. and I were both like, oh, well, so amazing. <laughs> of course yes. that makes sense. And how when we, for example, just when we lose a loved one and we, you know, we celebrate and praise them, it lets it just lets the grief flow like mm. lets us metabolize it and um as you know my uncle passed away a few weeks ago and and my cousin like he had three sons so one of them I said to him yeah I just saw oh, this concept explained it to him and he's like oh yeah so of course the funeral was fantastic because that's what they did they told stories about him and then we had this amazing service and we just told all these stories of him and it was so beautiful. It was sad but happy at the same time. And, and because I'd spoken to my husband about, you know, this epiphany you and I had had about the praise and the grief going together and he went, yeah, I really like that. That really works for me. And as we were driving back to Melbourne from the funeral, he said, that was a classic example of, of that concept. And I said, I know. And he said, Seriously, that's the best funeral I've ever been to. I said, I think so too. And he mm. said, because we all 
we all celebrated, but we grieved at the same time. Like there was tears and there was celebration and there was stories and lots of people told stories and it was, it felt really good in our bodies. Mm. Like it felt na- like very natural. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they're onto something. I'm like, no doubt. They're pretty wise. <laughs> <laughs> mm, very wise. Very wise. But then how, think about our, the, the light, like when, when it's not just about someone we love that we've lost, you know, the small moments that you and I were talking about before. So how might that, how might we do that praise and that grief at the same time? What comes up for you when you're thinking? Mm, creativity. I mean, that's always the thing that comes up for me, like as a, generally creative person, artist, art therapist, but doing something with it that is an expression of that, the feeling, the love that we had for or still have for whether it's somebody that's died or whether it's the planet or whether it's the hopes or expectations that we had for ourselves in our lives that weren't quite fulfilled or to do something with it, to tell stories, to make a piece of art to create some kind of ritual around it to Mm. share it with other people to I don't know draw lines in the sand whatever it is just to do something that is an expression of honoring that that feeling that we have for them or for the experience or for the whatever it is it's like a way of making that visible and tangible and not just an experience in our body but somehow out there in the world in some way through I tend to go to visual art but through songs through stories through music yeah yeah those kinds of things and that yeah it really feels like grief and praise together because it's like oh I'm expressing this in a way that is bigger than just me that's putting it out there so other people can see it and feel it too and to share it yeah. Well, I guess the best songs are all written about grief, a lot of them, aren't they? Mm, and grief love. Grief or love. Yeah. I think they're two sides of a very many-sided coin, <laughs> grief and love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many sides it's got, but they're two of them. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I've been in a... a painting frenzy for the last three weeks that's probably me processing my grief Mm. from losing my uncle um and my eldest son wrote a beautiful song he wrote the lyrics and that you know the music when he when uh, my husband's grandfather died last year about his great-grandfather dying Mm. like wow this is really good and I could just see him sitting there processing his stuff through his music Mm. but it's also the ritual isn't it Mm. and that that kind of brings me I guess away from the death aspect of grief down to you know the other transitions that we go through in our life like I'm sort of thinking about the menopause journey and that there's no support structures in terms of containers that it's more than a whole lot of physical symptoms, like it's a massive identity change and kind of birth of aspects of us, but also that letting go and 
that kind of audit review process that we go through say god yeah I, did, I thought that I would do all these things and and look where I'm at or maybe you know mm. I thought my relationship would be like this and it's not at all yeah and that art or music or even like cooking you know can be like whatever is your creative outlet can be such a great way to express that but the ritual there's no rituals around it which I think is what is really difficult for a lot of people Mm. yeah yeah and then I get all excited about like oh what what could we create can we create some new ones can we yeah remember some of the old ones maybe and make them anew for what feels relevant and true and supportive now like that feels really exciting to me too yeah me too. Well, just being able to like talk about it. Yeah. We don't talk about it so much. So being <laughs> able to talk about it is a great step in the direction. Or to, yeah. you know, like, you know, I noticed with some of my um, my stuff I put on Instagram and TikTok, like I get a woman, oh, I'm having an existential crisis. That's what's going on. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going on. So being mm. even just to talk about it is great. But, yeah, like what? you know, the magic that we could create for each other if we could come up with some rituals and some tools and some ways for people to kind of process. Mm. And even just the permission that, like, yeah, this makes sense and feel what you're feeling. Tell the stories about how you're feeling. Like, we don't have to necessarily sweep that under the emotional rug which is starting to get very bulgy in places you had to walk on because <laughs> there's so much under there but it's just like even before we get to the ritual just yeah let's talk about it we have permission this is not just you by yourself this is collectively many people are having this experience and what might happen if we shared some of that with each other yeah uh, one thing that I've noticed with a lot of new parents and mothers in particular is this the fact that they experience anger sadness disappointment grief at that time when they've become a parent and the change so like as they're going through this enormous identity change to become a parent but also the system the family like the constellation so it's if it's particularly first time it's just been them and their partner. And now there's a third, I, the baby, in the family system, which, like, brings up a whole lot of stuff for most of us, which is never talked about, ever, ever, mm. ever, ever. So we have this kind of cultural narrative, which you see on the uh, commercials or you read about them, you know, like Huggies, like, oh, it's, like, the best thing that's ever happened in your life. Mm. And it is. It is in many ways. But the shame that people feel when they start to feel sad, angry, frustrated, betrayed, all of the above, Mm. the shame that they feel, um, the grief that they feel that they're feeling that. And so when, you know, when you can talk about it, you just have a lot of people, oh, yeah, like, yeah, it's normal. But in my mind, there's just this whole kind of pocket of stuff 
that just gets stuffed under that rug of yours and never gets spoken about from mm. both sides, both parents. And there's no permission for it at all. Yeah. There's no permission for the, um, the growing pains. Yeah. In transitions is my sort of observation. So yeah. obviously we have grown, physical growing pains in our body, like we know that from teenagers. But it's as we go through these transitions, it strikes me that we have all these emotional growing pains. Mm. And, and why? why? Why does no one talk about that? Why have we forgotten about rites of passage? Yeah. What I'm thinking about as you're saying that is like we don't, so much at least I don't think so we don't expect to have like there's no expectation set of like this is a big transition and you can expect to have some emotional growing pains and we don't have that sort of set up as a thing that's like oh this might happen this might be your experience and so when it is the experience it's like well I wasn't expecting that I don't know what to do with it (laughs) (laughs) this isn't okay and then we fall into that that shame or that like oh I can't talk about this because nobody else said anything about it it must just be me like I shouldn't be feeling this there's something wrong with me yeah what happened if we got better at expectations management (laughs) yeah absolutely and I've just had a thought I'm like it's kind of Mm. when shame wraps around everything else it kind of flattens it under the carpet doesn't it hmm yeah, it does, definitely. And then we don't want to talk about it because it means a thing about us that we're feeling these things instead of it just means that we've been through a big transition and it doesn't really mean anything about us except that we've been through a big transition. And we're human. And that we're human. Mm. And that it's okay to feel like this. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, being human. And that's something that's coming up for me a lot as I'm exploring grief in different ways is how human it is and how we've really narrowed our understanding of what is acceptable in being human a lot. It's like we don't, but grief is one of the most human things that there is really, I think. And so it's like, wow, we've really we've narrowed it so that that's outside of what it means to be human now and we can't do that. But oh. We're kind of emotionally yeah. constipated, aren't we? <laughs> we really are. <laughs> Seriously, like the, the experience has been narrowed down. I just remember when all the positive psychology stuff came out and I actually met Martin Seligman, this is like 20, over 20 years ago because he got into the corporate stuff. And... Um, where I was working, we brought him out and I was the head of leadership development at the time. And I, there was a part of me, and of course, you know, I was surrounded by the executive coaches in my role and they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to feel the dark stuff as well. Like it's just part of the human experience, but it strikes me. I don't know what it is about the human condition is that we take part of a theory or part of a concept and we just go with that. And then we kind of leave the rest of it out. Do you get what I'm saying? Like mm. we tend to just focus on the bits that we like and cherry pick them. Yep. And, or is it Western? I shouldn't say that because it might be like a Western culture thing. Because when I was thinking about, you know, when I was reading Martin Prechtel's book, and for those of you who haven't, don't know who he is, you should definitely read his book on grief. Um, 
the name escapes me at the moment, but he's a the shaman. The smell of rain on dust. The smell yeah. of rain on dust. That's it. He's yeah. a shaman. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like really normal to feel grief. Mm. And yeah, and when we don't let our tears come up, it does get a bit dusty and dry and kind of barren. And yeah, when I read that book, I was like, oh God, now I get now what's going on in the environment. Yeah, we're kind of drying it out because we're not letting ourselves experience. Mm. our own river of tears and sadness and disappointments and yeah why do we do that why do we cherry pick it why do we skinny it down Mm. what would happen if we uncoupled fear from the things that we've labeled like dark negative bad if we kind of just like, oh, it's all part of it. It's a spectrum from love to grief to everything in between. And what happens if we uncouple fear from that? We stopped being so afraid. It's like it's normal. It's just part of it. Yeah. What might it mean to revel in it in a way, to really go there? Yeah, what's on the other side of it? What is on the other side of it? Like, ooh, I need to know. <laughs> yeah, if we let ourselves experience it what do we get to on the other side of whatever emotion we're not we're not letting ourselves feel I think that's probably why it's so scary because we don't know and we can't know and because we have so much collective trauma in ourselves culturally like trauma love certainty and we don't have any certainty when we're going through the gate of grief like who knows it's going to ask something of us it's going yeah. to take something who are we going to be on the other side there's no we don't know we don't know it does love certainty trauma doesn't it what's really that um that's what i was going to ask you in the nervous system what's going on in the nervous system with grief is it more parasympathetic is it more is there like, a very good question i think I don't know for sure, but my sense of it is probably a bit of everything. It feels like that to me. How we feel about it. Yeah. It feels like kind of I was trying to feel it in my own body, like going, oh, there's a bit of charge there, but there's also a bit of like feeling flat. But there's Mm. also a part that needs connection as well. Yeah. And maybe maybe it, it does bounce between all those available responses in our nervous system Mm. i'm not sure i have a curiosity around if we got really good at grief and if we were able to do it in a way that we weren't so afraid maybe it would be a highly connective experience just sort of with not even necessarily the people around us but with life itself that sense but we don't have that relationship to it for the most part. So there is that bit that's like, oh, this is a bit too big. So I need to, my nervous system needs to shut down a little bit or dissociate a little bit in order to cope. Yeah. And then when there's a little bit more capacity, I'm like, well, that's a lot. Now I feel quite activated. Like now that sympathetic side is a bit more dominant. And then that starts to feel like a lot. And so it's like then we shut down again. And then we might connect with somebody who's really present and able to be with us. And then we feel a bit more regulated. And it's like, oh, I can feel that a little bit. 
and then maybe they have to go home and then it starts feeling overwhelming and we shut down again. So I think it would be a ride through through everything. And maybe on... it is a ride now I think about mm. it and that's maybe why because it feels hard to be on a ride, doesn't it? I hate roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I've had a, a fan as a general rule. I nearly broke my youngest son's hand in Hong Kong <laughs> when he was three on like Space Mountain, one of those stupid things, grabbing onto a guy, ah! But yeah, it does feel like that roller coaster and like we're pinging between the different responses in our nervous system when we're there. And that's, mm. yeah, when we don't have the capacity in the first place. And because we do have that collective trauma, well, that kind of makes sense why it would be hard to let ourselves feel the feels around all of that. Mm. I think that's why it's so important to have spaces where it feels safe enough to feel some of those feels. So it's like we're not trying to contain them inside of our own bodies and inside of our own nervous systems so much because we've got this bigger container of a time and a place or a ritual or a community or mm-hmm. something that's outside of us that can hold some of that intensity so that we can let go a little bit and move some of it through mm-hmm. us without having to contain it all inside of our bodies. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, okay, I've just had a, like a thought, when we just go in and isolate ourselves because we are feeling lonely, because we need each other to kind of regulate and we feel like it's always amazing to me when we do RSE sessions or even when I do my network Cairo sessions, how being in the container and having the space held so much flows. Mm. right even like there's practices I know I can do it on my own I know I can do it but it's so much better when I'm in a space held yeah by another so of course when you isolate yourself and you don't have the safety of the container the ritual the you know the other activity yeah well of course you'll kind of pull in and get that emotional constipation because Mm. it's the the community that, you know, whether it's the art that almost provides the the water, the fluidity to help it yeah. flow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does. It creates like the banks of the river that we can flow down rather than having to try and be the bank and the river at the same time. And, and dry ourselves up and like yeah. block ourselves up. Mm. I like how um, Martin Prechtel talks about having the designated non-griever. Yeah. So it's somebody that is not in it who is available to support the person who is. And I kind of like, it really appeals to me that idea of like having a designated non-griever, someone that's just there. They don't need to interfere. There's nothing in particular they have to do except be present and just sort of be, be there for us while we do whatever it is that we need to do. And I like the idea of having one and I like the idea of being one. I think that would be something so, I don't know, it just feels very kind having somebody there as a a non-griever while we're doing what we need to do. Yeah, it's like having a shepherd really, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good good analogy. A shepherd just kind of walking the journey with you. Yeah. That might be a good place to finish up Mm. is there anything that I haven't brought up that you want to say I feel like we could probably keep talking about this for at least another year maybe two but (laughs) we might have to come back 
<laughs> come, we'll come back like from our mouth. come back from our Francis Weller course and we'll be like, oh, we've discovered all this new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know it does feel like a nice place to finish with the the shepherd and the little grieving sheep. <laughs> so um people can find you on your website, which is which is ellenmay.com.au. Yeah, and on Instagram you are I am Ellen is magic. That's right, because you are magic. And then you've got your Facebook, True. your little I Facebook. I do have my Facebook as well, but you can find that through my Instagram or through my website. Yeah. Hey, thanks. It was good to talk about this. Mm. I feel like I've processed stuff just having this conversation. <laughs> I know. I feel really light and I'm noticing that my face feels lighter and my smile feels more present and um easy which is really nice and I like how that happens when we turn towards grief in small ways bite-sized ways like it wasn't too much but it's like oh it feels good to be able to do that a little bit yeah it's like as I say to all my clients yeah baby steps it's good we love baby steps Mm. it's really good to have them just you know Yes. Just bite up a little and see how we go. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Bite-sized grieving. (laughs) All right.